0: The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.
1: This is Pure Opelka.
0: With Mike Opelka.
1: Only on the Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, well, well. Happy, happy Monday. It is, uh, it is the Blaze Radio Network. It is high noon on the East Coast. If you're listening to us live, if you're listening to us via SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, any of those places, first of all, thank you. Thank everybody who listens to this show. You guys really are uh, you're you're knocking it out. And I have to thank you for that. So um, appreciate it. And join the conversation today. I know we started doing free for all Fridays, but you know what? Uh, you're you're welcome to call in on any topic, on any day, at any time. And yes, it's Monday, so we'll talk to Dr. Wendy a little bit later in the show. But if you want to get in on the action today, if you want to discuss what's up, triple eight nine hundred three three nine three eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. And um, any home remedies to my, my conundrum that I posted on Twitter are welcome. You see, as I'm up very early scouring for stories and trying to lay out the show, I do a couple of things, uh, one of which is to take a break about two hours before we kick off. And I go outside and try and do just a little work in the garden. And I'm out in the garden and I saw... I saw uh, this little vine growing, and I thought, oh, that's an evil little vine. What's it doing messing with the hydrangeas and and with the rhododendrons? Cut it out. So I proceeded to cut it out, only to have a neighbor come over, and he goes, man, do you have a lot of poison oak in here? And I thought, uh, oops, oopsie, and I I had pulled this vine out, from about 10 different plants and a pretty good chunk of the garden that I was taking it out of. And uh, because it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing, I didn't grab my gloves and I wasn't wearing a long sleeve shirt. And so then I went sprinting into the house. And all I remember of poison ivy and poison oak and uh, what happens if you come in contact with it well, I, I mean, I know exactly what happens if you come in contact with it, but the first thing you're supposed to do is not touch anything, your face, uh, your, your shoulders, just, just every, everything should be left alone. Accent on everything, emphasis on everything until you can get the oils from the plants off your hands and maybe even off, off uh, your clothing. And my buddy, um, one of my golf buddies said, get the water as hot as you can stand and then rinse off your skin for as long as you can. So I was doing that. My, my arms from the elbows down look like, uh, well, they, they, they look as red as a guy who, who makes the mozzarella by hand. You know, the guys who would knead the mozzarella cheese by hand in the 112 degree water. And they're just, they were beet red for quite a while. I don't know if I got it all off in time. Then I coated my arms in the, um, in the Dawn detergent because that's the one that gets the oil off of the ducks, right, and <laughs> those ads, and I thought that would be a good idea. And then somebody else sent me a message saying, no, you need to use uh, Purell, and I don't, I don't use the Purell because I think it's dumb to do all that because I think it defeats your body's ability. So I put the word out, and if any of you know a a really good uh, poison oak uh, treatment and or method to stop it, somebody sent me this thing from a, a site called Tech Labs and Tech New, T-E-C-N-U. Maybe we need to pitch them as a sponsor. But right now, thank God, we may have gotten to it quickly enough, but I... Um, I had nearly scalded my arms from the forearms, elbows down, and uh, I, I scrubbed up and covered up, and I don't think I'm going to need the calamine lotion or anything else. But I always think it's a good idea for us to share those kinds of kinds of tips, right? So we, we can all be together on this. We're all in this together. And if you want to send one in, you can send it via, um, via Twitter, at StuntBrain on Twitter. At stunt Brain, all one word: s t u n t b r a i n. And um, you can also you can also call it in triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. But I hope I dodged a bullet, because I have had I have had that poison oak and poison ivy from from this uh, woodland garden we have in the past, and it is absolutely zero fun. All right where to go do you believe in the rule of threes do you believe in the three theory that when famous people pass away they pass away in threes if so is there one more to drop as they say i almost said shoe but yesterday we lost a great actor in martin landau a guy that i remember from alfred hitchcock's north by northwest at first and then from uh, Mission Impossible, where he played Roland Hand, the man of many disguises. And then ultimately, uh, you probably remember him for the Oscar-winning role he played in Ed Wood. And so uh, we, lost, we lost a great actor. 19, uh, he was 89 years old. And a big fan. I would watch every episode of the classic Mission Impossible. And I know what you people are thinking. Some of you are going, wait a minute. It was a movie. It was a TV show before it was a Tom Cruise movie. Yes. And it was a great show. It was one of the first shows that you became aware of that you had to pay attention because the story was so intricate and there was intrigue and spying. And and it was there were MacGyver like devices, there were disguises, there was all kinds of wonderful stuff going on in the original television series Mission Impossible. And it and it was a, a very diverse cast with Martin Landau, and uh, you had uh, you had a black actor, a white actor, a uh, female lead, and a and a muscle man, a guy. We had all kinds of stuff going on in that show. But the other shoe that dropped, the other uh, great, in, in my mind, the other guy that passed away was uh, a director who really, really found success in one genre and, and lived it. I'm talking about the great George Romero, George A. Romero, if you want to be technical in the Hollywood times, because, you know, there are different George Romeros out there, but he had the George A. Romero name in the Hollywood Registry. George Romero, a filmmaker who who really should be getting a, a parade from anybody who likes uh what's that show with the zombies that Jeffy likes? The um Walking Dead. Yeah, thank you, Ellie. Um I I've I tried to watch an episode of Walking Dead. And I'm out after like five minutes because it's not Dawn of the Dead. It's not Night of the Living Dead. It's not a George Romero film. And it is, in my opinion, derivative and entirely too slick. The original Night of the Living Dead made back in, uh, what was it, 1968, I think he made it? For about $110,000, begged, borrowed, and stole. To make Night of the Living Dead. He co-wrote it with uh, his friend John Russo. The movie was the thing that midnight movies are, are legend for. Absolute rough production values, tiny script, a little bit of a morality play, a little bit of a social commentary, and yet at the end of the day, You were okay with it because you realized, yes, it scared the hell out of me. But at the end of the day, you realize this is only a movie. Only a movie. I remember seeing Night of the Living Dead on a late, 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 late TV show. The the chiller theater type TV show that played 100 million years ago uh, in Chicago. And I remember... Coming home after work, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and everybody was asleep in the house. Remember, this is a house with nine kids. This is a house where uh, nothing goes on uh, that someone doesn't hear about it. Someone else doesn't catch up. So I'm awake late at night watching, because I couldn't sleep, just came home from work, watching this WGN TV chiller theater kind of a movie and it's night of the living dead i had never seen it and i started watching it and couldn't turn it off not only could i not turn it off because you wanted to make sure we were all going to be okay that the zombies weren't going to come to life and eat everybody but i had turned on every light in the house and for some reason my mother heard me and came down and went what is going on down here literally every light downstairs was on and i had checked every door and you're probably thinking what why what was so scary what possibly could have happened on uh, in this movie night of the living dead what could george romero have shown us that would have frightened us so and i have to tell you it was news reports like this
1: At this hour, they report the level of the mysterious radiation continues to increase steadily. So long as this situation remains, government spokesmen warn that dead bodies will continue to be transformed into the flesh-eating ghouls. All persons who die during this crisis from whatever cause will come back to life to seek human victims unless their bodies are first disposed of by cremation.
2: So there it is. I'm not sleeping. I I am, I'm wide awake. I've got the, I've got all the lights on. And now uh, my mother's down there with me and she's trying to say, this is craziness. What the heck is wrong with you? And I said, no, no, you got to watch this. This is, and she just said, I'm going back to bed. But my favorite part of, of the original Night of the Living Dead was the, the sheriff, the character of the sheriff who they had out leading the people around to round up the zombies in the daytime. He was, well, I, I guess you could say he was he was gold, Jerry. He was pure gold.
3: All the way in the fire, we don't want it getting up again. Oh, got you. Chief, Chief McClellan, how's everything going? Oh, things aren't going too bad. Men are taking it pretty good. You want to get on the other side of the road over there? Chief, do you think we'll be able to defeat these things? Well, we killed 19 of them today right in this area. Those last three we caught trying to claw their way into an abandoned shed. They must have thought somebody was in there. There wasn't, though. We heard them making all kind of noise. We came over and beat them off, blasted them down.
2: So the sheriff is about as as raw as you can get. But my favorite assessment comes, yeah. comes when the sheriff is asked ab- about taking out the zombies and, and what it takes to... To, to knock him out, like if you're surrounded by him and, and if you find yourself uh, completely without uh, an escape route. And this, this is just, to me, this is the essence of this, the original movie from 1968, when the sheriff answers the question about the zombies. Are
3: they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
2: Perfect. They're dead. They're all messed up. And if you didn't see Night of the Living Dead but then a few years later you tuned in when George Romero finally made enough money off the original. It was 10 years later that Night of the Living Dead had been a, a cult classic in the theaters that George Romero made Dawn of the Dead. And it was the same concept just 10 years later with better, better special effects and color film, not black and white film. And more than one handheld camera. And it was a social commentary on where we were as a society. And I think that's what a lot of people, that's why George Romero's classics stayed with us for so long. So same problem, radiation hits the planet. Everybody that's died in the last few days is suddenly reanimated and they're flesh eating monsters and the rest of us have to deal with it and try and stop them but if we don't one bite and you're joining it's just like vampires but george romero managed to put more social commentary in dawn of the dead than he did in night of the living dead you're curious aren't you well come on back after the break and i'll i'll give you the samples and the examples of of the genius of George Romero, a guy we lost at 77. And I'll also share the thoughts on George Romero from a friend who was a horror movie iconist, I guess we can say. An old friend who wrote to me today to tell me some George Romero stories. Yeah, we'll get to the politics. We'll get to James Carville. We'll get to all of that, but we have to honor a horror film icon who's left the building, the guy who gave Jeffy his obsession with this Walking Dead crap. My tribute to George Romero and Dawn of the Dead continues next on Pure Opelka.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka. We are paying tribute to the late George Romero, George A. Romero, the guy who gave us Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. He was also working on, <laughs> Kind of obsessed with one. <laughs> well, when it works, you know, you go with it. He was working on another film, actually, called Road of the Dead. And uh, it never happened, but a friend of mine who is a an actress in the horror genre of some note, an old friend from my Texas days named Caroline Williams. If you've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the Toby Hooper sequel to the ho- Toby Hooper classic, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, she played Stretch, the DJ, and Caroline works in the sh- the horror industry everywhere. And she's quite an incredible, remarkable person. Um, she wrote to me and said, George Romero was a friendly, lovely man who lived his life and made his films according to his own terms. And when he would check into a hotel, he would pay the smoking fine up front because, by God, he was going to smoke. She spent time with him on the convention circuit because these people travel. It's like Comic-Con, etc. She said, he never varied in his friendliness and bonhom which is what a great tribute. So what a n- nice to know that George Romero was as nice of a guy as he was rumored to be. But in in his sequel to Dawn, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, it took place at a shopping mall. And again, zombies are everywhere. A small group has clustered together in the mall to try and save themselves and thereby save humanity going forward. You had uh, three men and a woman who happened to be pregnant. And as they gather on top of the roof of the mall, they look down upon the zombies inside and ask a really important question. And the answer was perfect George Romero, classic sarcasm and social commentary. What are they
4: doing? Why did do they come here?
3: Some kind of instinct, memory of what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. It's some sort
2: of memory and instinct in what they do. It's, it's a place that was important to them in their lives. I'm sure there's one or two more lines from the movie that I have to share with you throughout the show, but we, we, ha- we, we need to salute great filmmakers. Like George Romero and great actors like Martin Landau. Thank you for your contributions in scaring the heck out of us and entertaining us. We hope you've made it to the next reward, the heavenly one. Rest in peace, Jane. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka
1: on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka.
1: Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Can I just uh I I had something planned to go to uh in this break here. I, I actually had a serious news story to go to. Uh well, it's sort of serious, but it is uh, it's the Blaze Radio Network and the host privilege has been employed. So I can just I can just change the rundown, put this story off to the side and say what the hell is going on? Seriously, wh- wh- what what last week we talked about gender reveal parties remember remember the story about the gender reveal parties and how uh there was a writer in cosmo who said that gender reveal parties would scar the unborn child it's interesting isn't it it's interesting that uh so many on the far left so many in the very very liberal part of our lives and our universe So many of those folks are concerned with the mental health of an unborn child, but uh, if it's not the right gender to be revealed, they might want to go in there and and undo that life and kill that unborn child, right? Right? Well, here's a different turn on the gender reveal party, and this is out of Coleraine Township in Ohio, as reported on USA Today, today. And no, I'm not stuttering. It's USA Today. Today. Today on USA Today. Today. A woman was hosting her own gender reveal party where nine people were shot. Now, did, did you hear this story? I did, this story got past me last week. I guess it's, it's because it wasn't Chicago that we didn't, we didn't pay close attention to the fact that nine people were shot at a party in Ohio. The party, the shooting, actually killed Autumn Garrett, a 22-year-old of Huntington, Indiana. How tragic. A 22-year-old's life was cut short, wounded eight others. Cheyenne Willis, the 21-year-old, was throwing the party to tell friends and family that she would be giving birth to a boy in the coming months. Hmm. What makes this doubly tragic? What makes this a, a a greater tragedy? In fact, beyond beyond the story here that that Autumn Garrett, a 22-year-old, was killed in the shooting that happened at this party, the shooting that hit. Autumn fatally and wounded eight others. The tragedy here is the entire party was apparently held on false pretenses. She wasn't pregnant. Now why? Why, why, was, why was this party even happening? Why, why did this party have to happen? A party that killed somebody wounded eight others this this is so distressing this is so distressing why it's, a, it's the weirdest story i've seen today why would you hold a gender reveal party if you're not pregnant Police say the shooting happened late on Saturday night after the party that started around 4 in the afternoon had ended. But about a dozen people of the 30 who were there hung out and stayed later. And um, the group apparently was getting ready to watch one of the Spider-Man movies, and they turned out the lights and started up the TV when uh, USA Today reports two men in hoodies came to the front door. They sprayed the living room with gunfire. At least 14 rounds were fired off without saying a word. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They said they heard screaming inside and children were crying on all the 911 calls. One caller said, I think a baby's been shot. I think I got hit. There's a whole lot of people here shot. Apparently, there was a Christmas Eve shooting just over a year ago that was, may have been related. So this might have been some sort of revenge thing for the past. But just why? Why were you having a gender reveal party if, in fact, nobody was pregnant? Is this the strangest story of the day? It truly is, and and you wonder if I, I just don't understand it. Were all those people called there because this shooting was a setup? It seems like it would have been because why would they, why would they wait till basically the party ended? It's it's a very bizarre story, but again, but for gender reveal parties, I hate to say this, people, but. We wouldn't have eight or nine people being shot, one of whom died. I know, I know, it's kind of calloused, isn't it? But it's, it's, it's almost you—you you just can't wrap your head around it. Gender reveal parties—I'm not going to back down. I think they are um, a scourge on our society, and as uh, Emily Zanati from Heath Street told us last week, uh, and she. She fully takes the blame on this, saying that it is uh, a creation of of her millennial generation and that it's just a scam, total scam to get more presents. I I wish somebody in the Ohio area there would, uh, who who knows more about this would tell us, but apparently the story is kind of unfolding as uh, it's a follow-up because the original shooting happened on the 8th. So it was two Saturdays back that this, this, this actually went down. So very bizarre story. Very bizarre story. Hosting her own gender reveal party, nine people were shot. She wasn't pregnant. And you wonder how that came up. Maybe somebody was doing a, a, um, a follow-up to make sure that there was no trauma in the, the soon-to-be mother with her child. And I guess they discovered she wasn't pregnant and never had been pregnant. Really maddening story. Really maddening story. Um, I also tweeted out a couple of things that are very visual and I hope you picked up on them that you should see. One of them is the, the video that our friend Brian Lilly sent us from Ottawa, Canada. The guy who got the dash cam and on the first day he recorded bicyclist, running a red light and getting absolutely thrown into the air by the car next to him and then walking away. Luckier than this person was getting hit by a car, a moving car and being able to walk away with a wounded bicycle and a bruised hip. Just uh, just an astounding story. And then the other one came out of Out of Wimbledon, if you watched Wimbledon, yes, congratulations to uh, Roger Federer for an an astounding eighth singles championship. But uh, two days before, Kim Clijsters was playing in a doubles match, and she was being heckled by uh, a fat guy up in the stands. And uh, she couldn't take it anymore and actually invited the guy down on the court to uh, see if he could, in fact, return her serve. And as this fat guy was allowed to climb over the wall and come down on the court, which I couldn't believe Wimbledon had a sense of humor, Kleister's uh, jumped in and said, if you're going to be on the Wimbledon court, you have to wear all white because those are the rules. And she pulled a spare tennis skirt out of her bag. And this guy... Proceeded to put that tennis skirt on over his shorts and he looked like a stuffed sausage in a casing that was about to burst. And yet, he managed to return one of her serves right there on the, on the big stage at Wimbledon. It truly was, I, t- for me, it was the best moment of, <laughs> of the entire tournament. But that's just me. I'm a little twisted. Uh, when we get back, I'll jump into some of the news of the day because there is interesting news. James Carville, yeah, I know. Don't get scared. We talked about scary movies earlier, but James Carville's back, and we have to talk about what James Carville is saying about the GOPs and the Democrats' chances in 2018 because he's a guy who studies this stuff, and uh, we'll we'll share that with you, uh, plus a whole lot more today on Puro Pelka. Come on back. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Don't forget, if you haven't jumped on the Relief Factor bus yet, what are you waiting for? I I use Relief Factor. Been using it since the first week of April. Eight days later, I stopped using any pain medications because it got rid of the inflammation in my knees, my hips, my back, and my neck. And that got rid of the pain inflammation causes pain in your joints and if that's the reason you have pain then you should be trying relief factor i got the three-week quick start pack it's it's under 20 bucks it's 1995 for the three-week quick start pack most people most of the blaze users the thousands of them who have tried relief factor see a positive result in seven to ten days so call them 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384, or go to relieffactor.com. I told you I was out in the garden digging around and you might have encountered some poison oak, but that's not what's causing me problems. Well, at least not yet. Anyway, we hopefully got that off. but I'm able to jump up and down to get into the garden to, to get my life back because they use Relief Factor. Haven't taken a painkiller of any kind, over-the-counter, whatever, since the eighth day after I started. So give it a try. 800-500-8384. Get the three-week quick start pack of Relief Factor. Now, we were talking about a different pain in the back. James Carville the political pundit who's always there, the guy who looks like some alien ship just transported him here and left him. He's a fast-talking guy from Louisiana. Sounds like this. He got uh, two pounds of fertilizer and a one-pound bag in that man. He's, he's a pundit. And Carville's an interesting guy, a, a very left Democrat married to a very right Mary Matalin. And yet he understands the politics. And he was recently on a radio show talking about 2018, specifically talking about how, how the GOP and the Democrats are going to do, and he talked about the problem of jumping on the health care topic and what it does and how it's really dangerous.
3: The problem on health care is simply this. Anybody that moves to change health care loses. When, when Bill Clinton in 1993 moved to change the health care system, he, it, it cost him. When President Obama in 2009 moved to change the health care system, it cost him. Now the Republicans are moving to change the health care system, and it's costing them. It's one of those things, if you pick it up, it bites you. Because whatever people have, they're they scared to try something new. Interesting, right? Whatever
2: people have, they're scared to try something new. I have a tendency to see the vision in that. I give Carvel credit for that. But when asked about 2018 and the prospects of the Democrats taking back the House and the Senate, Carville had some very interesting things to say about a possible power shift in Congress. Check it out.
3: I think there's a, a, a good chance, maybe 50 percent chance, the Democrats win the House. The problem in the Senate is is we have a large number of seats that we have to hold in states that, that, that Donald Trump carried. Indiana, Missouri, you know, places like that, that that we have to hold seats that are going to be, you know, you got to do pretty good in those kind of seats. West Virginia. uh, And the only places that we have uh, opportunity for pickup are, you know, Nevada is pretty good after that. Arizona is less good. Then you're down to, like, Texas and Alabama. And for the Democrats to win the Senate back, they have to pick up three seats. And you could say they could hold the ones they have. They may be able to win in Nevada. Maybe they will win in Nevada. But Arizona, after Arizona, which is very problematic, it becomes tough. So I would say the chances of the Democrats winning the House back, let's just say it's 50-50 and argue about it there, and winning the Senate are substantially less.
2: Interesting, right? The House is 50-50 based on Carville's assessment. And I think that's a pretty honest assessment right now. I think he's pretty spot on. And now the Senate, well, first of all, every seat in the House is up. But in the Senate, you only have a third of the seats up. And I believe 24 or 26 of them are going to be Democratic seats. And they have to defend every one of those and then pick up three from the GOP. And the GOP only has eight seats up for re-election. So... The, the obvious answer here is, as he said, it's a 50-50 chance in the House, but the, uh, the Senate's a much different animal. And let's face it, the GOP's gotta screw it up pretty badly to lose the Senate. The House, not so sure. When we get back, second hour, we'll dive more into the politics. Plus, I got a problem with the VA. I got a real problem with the VA, and we're gonna do a little time travel, right? Are you in? Okay, future boy, fire up the DeLorean. We'll be right back.
0: Pure Opelka.
1: With Michael Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network. is pure opelka
0: with michael pelka
1: only on the blaze radio network
2: hey it's the second hour of pure opelka how did that happen the first hour went just zoomed by i hope uh i hope your day's going well i hope your week is kicking off well there's a there's a lot to discuss today and an hour from now we're going to talk to um our friend Dr. Wendy Patrick. And I I have gotten word, I, I don't think it's going to be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be Wednesday, or as the nuns used to say, Wednesday, to remind us of how it is spelled. It's Wednesday, it could be Wednesday that we speak to Scotty Mullen. He's the author, the screenwriter of Sharknado 5, it's a little kooky, right? This show covers the politics and some of the pop culture and just some stories that are so bizarre. It's, it's only because I, I care about them that we cover it. I don't know if I'm going to get into this Star Wars resort they opened at Disney. I, I, I really don't think if I'm going to go on vacation. First of all, I'm past the whole theme park vacation thing. And look, Disney, Disney is great. As a matter of fact, today, today we should talk about Disney a little bit. Glenn Beck is a huge Disney fan. In case you did not know or you just got here on the spaceship that brought James Carville back from wherever he's been for the last year or so. But in case you didn't know, Glenn Beck, gigantic Walt Disney fan. And what's not to love about Walt Disney, the entrepreneur? Because Glenn, Glenn has learned a lot of things from Mr. Disney and, and Walt's early days. But years ago, years ago, I picked up a book called Behind the Ears. And Behind the Ears is a, it's a fascinating turn on the, on the Disney empire. And if you haven't seen Behind the Ears on the bookshelf, it, it might not show up in your in your library. But if you if you seek it out, if you're a person who wants to know about the early days of something uh, behind the ears is not exactly a tell all about uh, the early days of Disneyland. But it is um, it's a little bit of that. It's by a guy named David Koning. K-O-E-N-I-G. And I'm sure there's a million different pronunciations of it. I bring this up today, the book, Mouse Tales, a behind-the-ears look at Disneyland. I bring it up today because today's the anniversary in 1955 of the opening of Disneyland. And in the book, Mouse Tales, you will find some really interesting stuff about that opening day. And it's something in there, as we love history on this show, history teaches us important lessons. There's something that happened on that day that I think is so amazing, so astounding that you should learn from it. Walt Disney was setting up this, um, this theme park, this gigantic park that he was opening in California and it was going to be the happiest place on earth, right? And they had, they had set the date, and as with many different things, construction falls off in one area, picks up in another. They had a bunch of things they had to get done, but they were trying to get everything ready. The word was out. The date was set. The invitations had, had been sent. It was going to be treated like one of the great media events of all time. In fact... Walt Disney wanted the Disneyland opening, the grand opening, which was really meant for most of the cognoscenti in Hollywood and showbiz to show up so they can get the beautiful people there. And so he he said, we're going to do a live broadcast, a televised grand opening, a three hour TV show. Now, think of somebody doing a three-hour TV show for the opening of a theme park today. It wouldn't happen. It would would be a half an hour, maybe an hour, and maybe there was an awards ceremony going on inside. But no, this was a three-hour because Disney was expecting a parade of celebrities to come by, and they were all going to be stopping by and interviewed by his host, the late Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter was the guy behind a television show that probably most of us remember. Kids say the darndest things. He also was a brilliant businessman. Disney came to Art Linkletter in 1955 and said, look, I'm opening my theme park. I want you to host the opening, but I don't have any money. We're, we're barely making it. You know, we we're scrimping and saving wherever we can. We don't have a lot of money. I can pay you 500 bucks. And he said, I know that's, that's nothing, that would be union scale, SAG scale, Screen Actors Guild scale for a three hour live TV show. Nothing along the lines of what Art Linkletter would normally command to do this. Probably a zero or two missing from what he would normally want. So Art Linkletter said, let me think about it. Looked at the, the overall opportunity And he came up with a brilliant idea. He said to Walt Disney, I'll do the job for 500 bucks, but I want, I want the film concession for Disneyland in perpetuity. Now, just think about that. I know what you're saying, but we don't use film anymore. No, we don't. But the, the digital photography uh, turn, the shift in that paradigm in photography was decades away, was 50 years in the offing. Think about it. People would buy, people would come to the happiest place on earth, see the magic kingdom, have to take pictures of the little ones in front of Cinderella's castle, in front of Tomorrowland, in front of the, uh, everything that was there. It was a brilliant move, and to this day, it is often referred to as the highest-paying job hosting a television show in the history of show business. It made Art Linkletter multiple millions of dollars, and so every time I come across a business deal, and every time somebody says to me, well, you know, we're a startup. We don't have a lot going on here. You always have to look and say, "Okay, I respect the fact that they want my talent. And I understand that there are issues in terms of economics that can't be can't be solved here. But is there something else we can do? Art Linkletter hosted the opening of Disneyland on this date in 1955 in Anaheim, California, And he got paid $500 for the three hours work he did hosting that live show. By the way, Linkletter also brought with him another young Hollywood star who got the $500 payment as well. But I don't think he got the same deal Linkletter got. A young guy named Ronald Reagan was also a co-host that day. But Linkletter's thinking and taking a moment to say, what else can we do here? ended up giving him a fantastic reward going forward. And everybody won. Disney won. Linkletter won. And even Ronald Reagan won. There are stories, there are legendary stories about the opening of Disneyland that day. There were, there were problems getting everything ready. They had to choose whether or not they were going to get the concession stands built or they were going to get the water fountains built, or they were going to get the bathrooms built. Disney chose to make sure they had the bathrooms up and running and the plumbing there, and said, let's skip the water fountains because people will be able to buy a cold drink. And there are some who suspected Disney, and and incorrectly suspected Disney intentionally held the uh, water fountains from being installed, so... So he could make sure to sell cold drinks. No, that wasn't the reality. That's been, I think that story's been shot down a few times. But the other thing that happened, (laughs) and this is why uh, holograms are so important today. They printed up a number of invitations to get celebrities there. And they had them delivered to every major studio and major agency. And to all the big names in show business and their staffs to say, bring your kids. And there was no way to prevent those invitations from being duplicated. And there was no watermarking on them. So guess what happened? The opening of Disneyland was overrun with about five times as many people as invitations. But in the end, it was, it was a win. Because the park looked like it was the happiest place on earth with the biggest crowd on earth. 1955 anaheim california if you want to read more about disney some interesting things i thought it was going to be kind of a nasty tell-all book and it isn't uh, david koning or caning uh the book is mouse tales a behind the ears look at disneyland it's fascinating it's out on kindle you can probably if you're smart and you go to the amazon.com and you click off the one that says help mercury one which i do uh, there are there are 92 used copies of this book for a dollar so you can get a copy of it You can pay full price for a copy or you can get a used copy for a dollar I think the story is still the same in the used copies unless somebody went in and changed it uh, That's a little bit of history on today And I think it's important because the lesson I learned is to always look at the deal from the other side Not necessarily from the person who's offering it to you but from the side, looking in it, both sides to see if maybe there isn't something else that can benefit you. In the end, Art Linkletter, one of the biggest winners at the opening of Disneyland, and he just had to work three hours that one day. Stepping aside, when we get back, uh, we'll look at some of the news of the day. Um, th- nobody's paying attention to the story about the the Russian meeting from the angle of Who was that lawyer? Who was that lady who was who was in the room? There's there's a weird part of that story that we have to get into. Plus, oh, uh, I want to do more time travel. We'll do some time travel with the VA and then uh, just around the corner after the bottom of the hour, Debbie Lee is joining us with a story that really got me angry. I'll share that with you. Uh, in just a little bit on Pure Opelka
0: Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network You're
1: listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka around the corner from a discussion and uh, a sort of an interesting topic with our friend Debbie Lee um, from America's Mighty Warrior Foundation. Um, we keep in touch with Debbie because of the great work she does, and uh, Debbie is Debbie's just amazing. You, we'll get into that. Uh, I also want to remind you. If you're looking for life insurance, uh, we have a brand new sponsor here. Very happy about our association with this uh, brand new sponsor, HealthIQ.com. If you go to HealthIQ.com Blaze, you're going to find something new in life insurance. And it's something they created, they're fighting for, and that's to get better life insurance rates based on your health consciousness and how you live your life. It used to be just your age and your gender and the insurance companies got lazy and they put in the factors. But these guys went, hold on a second, there's a whole bunch of people out there who are trying to be smart about their lives. They don't smoke, they don't drink, or they drink a little or they run or whatever. Can you imagine getting a better rate on life insurance because your mile time is faster than the average? Or that you are out there walking every day or you eat a healthy lifestyle? Uh, in terms of your consumption, in terms of uh, better, better ideas on, on what you're eating? Yeah, it's possible. So go to healthiq.com slash blaze, take the quiz, then follow through and say, I want to get the free estimate. That's what I'm doing right now. We're around the corner on the final step that I'm going through, and it, everything should be good. Then I will get a great rate through a major carrier. So check them out. You're looking for life insurance at a great rate. Major car- carrier, HealthIQ.com/slash/blaze, helping health-conscious people get great rates. HealthIQ.com/slash/blaze. Oh boy, I said I wanted to do some time travel, didn't I? I said I wanted to, um, I wanted to, I wanted to go back in time like a hundred years ago and look at the the va hospitals 100 years ago there's so many people doing these 100 year back in time things because i think wasn't this the uh, 100th anniversary of the birth of jfk something like that so the president kennedy would have been 100 what's well, it let's go to uh, let's go to what conditions were like at a va hospital just outside of boston and the town of Manchester, New Hampshire, not far. Because, you know, up, up in the northeast there, once you get outside of New York, once you get up past Connecticut there, uh, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, they're all kind of smushed up there together. It's kind of one big smushy mess. Well, if, if you were to stop by 100 years ago at the Department of Veteran Affairs hospital, the, the one they would look at as a four-star hospital, you would have found that one of the operating rooms had to have been shut down, abandoned, because the exterminators couldn't get rid of the flies. That's how bad it was. Doctors would have to cancel surgeries in one of the other operating rooms because they discovered what appeared to be Rust. Or blood on two sets of surgical instruments that were supposed to be sterile. Boy, can you imagine? Can you imagine that being the reality? All the patients and, and you know, we still had lots of veterans that were funneling through the system trying to get help. Thousands of them. It is the Northeast after all, you know, the the place where we have great hospitals and great medical care, but in this VA hospital in Manchester, New Hampshire, just, I think it's about 40 or 50 miles outside of Boston. These patients had still then life threatening conditions, struggling to get care because the program for setting up appointments and connecting to outside specialists had been broken down. One guy was trying to see a cancer doctor this spring more than four weeks after they diagnosed him as having liver cancer. And when the patients there at the Manchester Veterans Affairs Medical Center are referred to outside specialists, those doctors sometimes were stunned by the condition and and their medical history. A neurosurgeon said some of these patients Suffered needless spinal damage, including paralysis, because the hospital didn't give them proper treatment for a condition called cervical myop- myelopathy. This, this condition at this VA hospital in Manchester, some of the doctors said it's, it's only in third world countries do we see patients like this end up disabled. And this was from one doctor at New England Baptist Hospital telling the VA. Only it wasn't 2017 or 1917, as I hinted. This is going on right now. This is just one facility that is now in the spotlight. One facility, supposed to be one of the better VA hospitals in the country. One of the VA hospitals that gets a four star rating. One of the VA hospitals that is supposed to be there to take care of the men and women who gave up their lives to fight for our freedoms. They come back broken and what do we give them? We give them operating rooms that have to be shut down and abandoned because of the flies. Surgery's canceled. We're going to talk about the VA. We're going to talk to um, Debbie Lee in the break. The story I read you is from today, not from 100 years ago. It's time for all of us to stand up and demand great care for our vets. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka
1: on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka. I'm I'm not happy. I am uh, I am officially unhappy about something I read this weekend. And if you were just listening and you heard the story I read you initially telling you it was from a VA hospital in the Northeast from 1917, and then I revealed that in fact it is a 2017 story about a VA hospital that actually has An operating room closed because even exterminators can't get rid of the flies. Another operating room regularly shut down because it has rusty instruments or instruments that still have blood on them. It is infuriating. And then I I get an email from a friend, somebody I just, I cannot even say enough nice things about her. And I'm going to just give you a little bit of the email and then we'll talk with, with our friend Debbie Lee. Several weeks ago veteran Eric Bivens reached out to us meaning America's mighty warriors via email for help with his PTSD and getting hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatments something that's kind of important. Debbie says we replied to his emails told him we'd be glad to help. He was scheduled to start his treatment August 2nd at the Rocky Mountain Hyperbaric Center. Ironic that date is August 2nd, which is when Debbie's son, Mark, died in combat, the first Navy SEAL killed in Iraq, Mark Lee, a hero. Debbie didn't hear back anything until Wednesday when, when Eric's wife called, told him that her husband had committed suicide. She was trying to get the hyperbaric treatments for her husband's friend that he had served with. And now Debbie's mission is to try and connect with them to help get that hyperbaric treatment for them as well. The The story about the VA irritates me, the one up in New Hampshire, only because we've known about the problems with the VA for over four years now. The story about Eric Bivens breaks my heart. And that's why I asked Debbie on a Monday to join us, because we can't stop talking about this, Debbie. We have to continue this fight and I'm 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 happy you're here cuz I will always always make room for you but this really it it burns me and breaks my heart at the same time
4: yeah you know when I got the call I was um So I had mixed emotions. I was hurt because we lost another one of our veterans that we have been fighting so hard for and that there's things that can help them and can, you know, help them cope with life. If it's TBI, it's actually healing the brain. And then when she told me that he had taken his own life because he had lost all hope, he was excited about the hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatments, He felt like he had hope and there was something that was going to help him. They had researched it. They had seen copies of different brain scans for those that had been helped. And when he went to the VA, um, and I had attached videos of of that, of other issues that she'd had. There had been a bunch of botched surgeries. There were uh, misdiagnosis, disrespect that that is not acceptable for our men and women who have served and they finally had to go to the chief of staff at the hospital the VA hospital in Tennessee and she said that was one of the first times they got a thorough um, exam from a doctor and they said he was very nice and um, actually went deeper than any of the other doctors had gone And her husband had shared how excited he was that he was going to be getting this hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment and that he was going to be starting August 2nd. And the doctor told him, that stuff is a waste of your time. They're just trying to steal your money. He said, there's no purpose. It won't help. And um, how dare him? How dare him steal the hope from this veteran And he left there. His wife said that is exactly how he felt that he had lost all hope. This was the last thing that they felt could provide some help for them and um, had not had anything to drink for 18 months and the next day started drinking, went on a binge, um, had abused some of his prescription um, drugs that the VA had given him as well and ended up taking his life. And I feel that doctor there has this young man's blood on his hands. That, you know, obviously he has PTS and he's struggling. And when we make a decision to end our life, that's, you know, that's a a personal choice. You've made that choice. But he pushed him off the edge by telling him that this was, that there was nothing that would come out of it, that he wasn't going to see any different. He wouldn't see any improvement. Over the last four years... We have worked with doctors across the United States to provide the hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment, which is what we call HBOT, for over 30 of our veterans, and every one of them has seen improvements um, at different levels, but all of them have seen improvements. I talked with... uh, a seal just a couple of weeks ago that had gone through the treatment. And unfortunately, he was coping with another friend of his who had committed suicide. And I called just to check on him because those are difficult times. Uh, my husband committed suicide 23 years ago. So we've lived through this. And as I talked to him, um, he was moved that I would call and check on him. But he said, I would not have been able to survive losing my friend if I had not just completed the treatments and felt mm. so much better emotionally and physically.
2: And here's, this is so, so troubling to me, especially in, in the face of the, the information that you have, and I don't know why this information is not available to these VA doctors, then to say that the VA is not going to pay for the treatment, that it's not only going to deny the coverage, but it's also going to tell you it's not going to do anything when we've seen it. And especially with with traumatic brain injuries, as you know, Debbie, but maybe some of the folks listening don't know, everyone is as different as a snowflake. Everyone, every brain is affected differently by a traumatic brain injury, and yet A hyperbaric oxygen treatment, as Debbie called it, the HBOT, it's showing positive results. And who are who are these doctors to deny the people who created the 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 security for them to have this job? It's so disturbing. Now, your group, your group, America's Mighty Warrior Foundation, does help these these families because now we have a, a widow, And uh, two daughters, 10 and 12, yes, that are now without daddy. Even though daddy was struggling, daddy was there. And that's important. And now my heart is breaking for this family, and my anger is boiling at the same time.
4: Yeah, those mixed emotions that are there, or what I went through, when I got off the phone with her, I was doing circles. I was pacing in my house. I was angry, and I knew I needed to vent, and I needed somebody to talk to, and I called another neurologist, um, Dr. Henricks, who we work closely with. She's um, in Tucson and does the hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment. And um, same thing, she was just disgusted. How could this doctor have told him that? Um, obviously, he's not knowledgeable about it. Part of the problem is they're taking research that was done um, it's like comparing oranges and apples. You're never going to find anything that's exactly the same. It's hard with hyperbaric. It's not like it's a pill where you can do a placebo and say, okay, here's a sugar pill for you. Here's a you know, regular pill that we're testing, and here's the results that happened. Um, there is research currently being done. Dr. Harch uh, down at Louisiana State University is the leading researcher on this and has done uh, numerous studies, and he's just completing another one, where they did put some of our veterans in, they didn't know that they weren't, you know, getting uh, the oxygen in their treatments. And, um, I mean, these studies have been going on for years. I met with VA uh, Secretary Shulkin. I was in the White House on June 5th and got to speak to him briefly about the bot and what we're doing. And he said that, you know, when he first got to the office and he mentioned Bot. you know, all the doctors and everybody around him are, no, 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 no. And um, he actually reached out to uh, those who've done the most studies actually in Israel. And he reached out to them and spoke with them. And he said that um, he didn't, you know, he wasn't to the place where he said, let's jump on board, let's make this happen. But he was open to listening about it. He wasn't closed-minded like a lot of these doctors You know, have been. And I think it's so important to get the word out. Just like this widow, when she was calling me, she wasn't calling for sympathy. She wasn't calling for help for herself. She called because some of her husband's buddies that he had served with that were at the funeral, and she knew they were struggling with PTS and TBI and that they needed help. And so she was calling me to say, can we help them? I know this will help. And, you know, of course, I said, yes, you know, put me in connection with them, and we will get them set up. We'd like to try to put them um, in areas, uh, it's 40 treatments. They go for a treatment every day. They're in the chamber for an hour every day. Mm. So it, it helps to have them close to, you know, a doctor close to them where they live. So many of our veterans have been, you know, at Walter Reed, at Bethesda, done numerous surgeries over and over and away from their families, and we need to try to, you know, restore these family units and keep them intact. So we try to do that as a first choice. We do work with Rocky Mountain Hyperbaric, where Eric was scheduled to go. Um, that's an in-house where you go to Colorado for the two months. Uh, Dr. Hart, if he still has slots open down there in Louisiana State for that research study. There's another clinic that's an in-house one in Florida, but... We try to find a doctor close to them that's providing that for PTS and TBI. And people need to know that are listening, please, please, please reach out to our foundation. It's AmericasMightyWarriors.org. Let us help you and get you set up in the hyperbaric. We're also doing hormone therapy, vitamin therapy. Uh, We work with a boot camp type place called Mighty Oaks. So there's a combination of numerous things that we can do to help our vets with PTS and TBI. Um, You know, it's you. I can't tell you how many veterans I've worked with that come. I know you you are.
2: I'm sure you have a clone at this point. You are. I don't know where you get the energy or the time, but you are. You are remarkable on every level, Debbie Lee. But everybody write this down. America's mighty warriors dot org. Debbie Lee, who whose family gave us the freedoms with Mark Lee giving his life for this nation. He's a hero. We'll remember him August 2nd. If you can think in your, in, in your day to say a prayer for this foundation, if you have time to support the foundation, if you got a couple shekels, or if you need the help, let, let America's Mighty Warrior Foundation help you. Debbie, I, I will always open the airwaves here for you and what you're doing this, this just burns me, and you know I'm there with you all the time, every time. Don't ever hesitate, please.
4: Thank you, Mike. We appreciate your support so much.
2: Thank you. God bless, and uh, we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka. By the way, um, next hour, Dr. Wendy joins us as she does every Monday. We'll talk the politics. You can also join the show triple eight nine hundred three three nine three eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. Did you see the story about Ann Coulter getting uh, her upgraded preferred seat? Taken away from her by Delta Airlines. I, you know, I would have been as mad as Ann Coulter, too. I don't know if I would have been as publicly angry as Ann Coulter. I might have tried a little bit more honey and a little less vinegar. But Ann Coulter has made a bazillion dollars doing what she does. So I guess we have to give her the benefit of the doubt. After all, it's worked out so great, right? It, the Delta probably responded immediately, right? And said, oh, Ann, let us give you a, a large cash settlement. No. That's not what happened. After Ann's tirade, her Twitter tirade, Delta responded and said, um, we're going to refund you the $30 you paid to upgrade your seat. Now, I, I, I get it totally. Ann Coulter's tall. She wanted the extra legroom. And so she paid for it. And then Delta screwed her out of it. I'm certainly not rushing to get on a Delta flight anytime soon. I agree with her on this. But at least, Ann, at least you weren't on the plane that landed at Raleigh Durham Airport, reportedly landed at Raleigh Durham Airport, and forced all the passengers to get off the plane because. A past gas situation forced the evacuation. This out of uh, the uh, WBTV.com website, news on your side. All the passengers taken off a plane after the incident was investigated and determined, determined that a passenger, quote, passed gas. <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you've got... What do they call this? TF? Terminal flatulence? That they're actually going to clear a plane for you? It wasn't Delta. It was American Airlines. And officials on Sunday night said the plane had an odor issue, but they're denying it was past gas. I'm just saying. Airlines are getting to be a very, very strange place these days. We'll be right back. I hope.
0: Pure Opelka
1: with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka
0: with Michael Pelka.
1: Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Michael Pelka with you. Uh, Me here, you there, and soon to be Dr. Wendy Patrick. I'm sitting here thinking, hey, uh, I wonder if uh, Dallas is calling Wendy Patrick. And then they whisper in my ear, "Uh, you didn't give us Wendy's number. So uh, I didn't even have time to... I'll just tell it on the air so you guys can... No, I've asked Wendy to give you a quick call. Hopefully she will. Um, Also in the news today, another thing that we need to just say no to, no. uh, Oh, oh, hell no to. uh, Amtrak, which uh, for the last five years was my preferred mode of travel between... The constitutionally protected free speech bunker in the woods of Arden, Delaware, back and forth to New York City and Washington, D.C. But if Amtrak's next plan goes through, I, I, I might have to change my my thoughts. Um, Amtrak's planning on shaving the seats to try and make more money. Amtrak lost $227 million last year. Um, shaving the seats is not going to make you more money. Being a, a private run enterprise versus a government run enterprise is going to make you money. Amtrak loses money on every beer that it sells. And it sells a lot of beer. I know I've ridden a lot of Amtrak. So I'm sorry, new Amtrak CEO Wick Mormon. Shaving the seats. Amtrak seats currently 23 inches wide and there's 39 inches of legroom. Airline economy sections. Some of the seats are 17 inches wide and have only 30 inches of legroom. No, Amtrak. No. So, well, more on that. We're going to monitor that. We're going to hoot and holler about that as, as time goes on. But we have, uh, because I, I had a brain fart and forgot to give <laughs> the information to the control room. Thank God Wendy checks her emails. So uh, Dr. Wendy Patrick, wendypatrickphd.com, always here on Mondays, one of the most reliable people in my world. Thank you for being here, Wendy. Always a pleasure, Mike. I've been a little off the rails today. I don't know if you were listening (laughs) earlier, but, you know, when you lose George Romero and Martin Landau in the same day, you have two icons, one just a classy Oscar winner, great actor, and the other, the father. I consider him the father of zombie movies and, you know, flesh-eating zombie, the whole genre. I think that's George Romero in a nutshell. Yeah, zombie culture, that's for sure.
5: It's a, it's a very, a huge law.
2: Now, you're, you're just humoring me, aren't you? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Did you, had you ever seen any of the uh, the Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead series? Oh, of course I have. Yes, of course I have. Okay, just making sure, you know, because I, <laughs> I went a little overboard in the opening of the show, so, you know, maybe maybe I did. What a surprise. I might might have spent a half an hour talking about it, much to the uh, chagrin of the people behind this program. But you're here to keep me on the straight and narrow. And uh, I have two topics I want to talk about. I'm watching Jay Sekulow yesterday, and I happen to be a fan of Jay. I I think Jay's a a cool cat, amazing guy, obviously a smart guy. But um, he kept saying the same thing over and over again. And some of it I'm sure it's intended because not everybody watches the same shows. And I just because I will geek out and and go through all five Sunday shows in five hours on C-SPAN doesn't mean everybody else does. But that's me. But he it seemed like he was a robot saying the same thing over and over. I, I do not represent Don Jr. I only represent the president. But based on what I've seen nothing illegal happened. And I I think this just serves to irritate people. But did anything illegal happen or could it have been illegal? Well, well, I got to
5: tell you, you know, I've been asked that question a million times over the weekend and all through last week. And, you know, I'm a career prosecutor. And, Mike, if I had a dime for every case that looked good at the beginning and then fell apart because it would charge too quickly, I would be able to retire. It is so difficult to, at the very beginning of an investigation, put a label on particular conduct and uh, and and think that that's actually something you're going to work towards. I would want to see many more facts, and I also might want to see precedent. You know, one of the things that's being brought up here in campaign finance laws is one of the laws that he he is alleged to have broken by some of the commentators. But there's a lack of precedent as to whether or not a meeting like this constitutes a thing of value, which, of course, is something you need to break those laws. So given that there isn't any precedent, and by that I mean other cases that have found that result, it's hard to guess that this would be the case that would establish that. Maybe it will be, Uh, But it's hard unless you've got more to work with. And frankly, that lack of precedent characterizes so much of what we discuss within the Trump administration, not just due to their own actions and behavior, but a lot of it due to the electronic social media value. There are so many cases of first impression. I'd toss the travel ban in there as well. So many cases where the court really doesn't have established precedent to look to to guide their decisions that it's almost impossible to guess how a court would look at this kind of a case being campaign finance contribution violation, um, and, and Mike, one other thing that is complicating this analysis is everybody keeps using the word collusion. There is no collusion yeah. statute. Collusion is a political term, and I know many, your your listeners are very savvy. Most of them know that, but um, already. But when I watch some of the TV coverage, and unlike you, I watch all I geek out too and all that stuff. I often see people alleging that they are they've violated the law because they've engaged in collusion and that sentence just doesn't work <laughs>
2: <laughs> well
5: cooperation is not conspiracy it
2: it it makes a great bit of of uh incendiary right? television <laughs> you know it, right. it it causes sparks to fly so i yeah, i appreciate i appreciate some of the wisdom here and this is this is Wendy sharing judicial wisdom with us when you when you say, you know, if you had a dime for every case that on its first blush looked great and then fell apart on deeper examination. And that, that's a real good theory to keep in the back of your heads. Everybody look deeper, look beyond because there is a tendency, especially in this election, to knee jerk. Um, Al Gore was on television today. And, you know, he was talking about the fact that Hillary Clinton lost by she won the popular but lost the electoral college. But she'll be OK. And I, I wish Al Gore's message could get out to everybody, because I think that everybody needs to stop worrying about Hillary and the Clintons, because ultimately they'll be OK. And the less drama we, we have about mm-hmm. all this, I, I think we will eventually all be OK. But, uh, well, Mike, it's, it's a... I love
5: the fact that you use the word drama. I love that because that characterizes the news cycle. And it's, it's no fault of anybody's. It's just it's the world we live in. It's because we are, you know, we're a social media society where we get news instantly. It breaks constantly. It drip drips, as it does in this type of a case. And, you know, my advice to people that are putting putting labels on the conduct at issue here. And I would say that I said the same thing when they were looking at Hillary Clinton's ish, uh, emails. In other words, it's not a partisan determination. But I said the same thing then. Leave it to the professionals. We've got an FBI investigation. Um, We've got a special counsel. We've got Robert Mueller, who's no doubt looking into all of this. The reason I say leave it to the professionals is unlike you and I, who are dialed into the court of public opinion, Mueller's got behind the scenes information. In other words, he is privy and we are not to all sorts of background information, context, that gives some meaning to the content of those emails. And just one real quick example of that, many were making much of of the other day about how if you actually read the email chain carefully, they wonder whether it, it insinuates that there were several offline conversations as well, maybe a couple of phone calls. Whatever that evidence is, you know, Mueller can investigate all of that through resources we don't have, and then once he's looked at all of the evidence, uh, instead of jumping to any conclusions now, he and his team can decide what, if anything, to make of it.
2: Great points. Great points. And, and, Wendy, I I didn't even send you this one, but did you see the New York Daily News reporting on the attorney with connections to the Russian government, uh, Natalia Veselnitskaya? Did you see the the side story to this woman over the past year?
5: Uh, I don't think I've read the article you're referring to.
2: Okay, that's okay cuz I don't Ooh, think a I'm lot of people it did. <laughs> it, it was buried <laughs> you Daily in, News. okay. This this was buried in some the back or in the middle of the Sunday reporting. This lady on America taxpayer's dime
5: has oh, been living up,
2: in A Plaza Hotel suite, a $995 a a night suite on our dime when she was brought here for a deposition in a case they just settled, the DOJ just settled. Uh, She had uh, uh, bills for meals, a $793 feast for five people. And I just thought that were line. Only, there were, I, I want to go to these dinners. There were. Where did, only, I want to know, where did they eat? <laughs> they ate at the plaza. She was living at the plaza on the dime of the American taxpayer because Preet Bharara, the guy that Donald Trump uh, dismissed, was called her in to be one of three deposed witnesses in a case that was alleging Some uh, bad behavior by a Russian firm. Her stay at that hotel from October, this was, let's see, oh my God, I'm just looking at this, from October 13th (laughs) to October 16th. So four days? Do you want to guess what we paid for those four days? <laughs> well, I see the price tag on the line right above it: fifty grand, yeah. oh. <laughs> fifty thousand three hundred and sixty-five dollars and seventy-two cents. That included her Ooh. airfare from Russia and interpreter service. uh I, I'm sorry, there's more to this story than we need, to, than we have not heard, that we need to know.
5: You know, Mike, it's such an important point you bring up because you wouldn't have believed that a story like this would have been buried, would you? I mean, this seems like the kind of story that maybe, you know, how I was mentioning the context, maybe adds context to who this woman was. Because you remember how many questions we had about that so- shortly after the news this meeting broke? We wanted to know everything we could about her. Um, and just today, you and I are talking about this. You're right; it actually takes some digging to learn more information because it, you know, you're right; it hasn't been immediately reported as to who this woman is. And you're no. right that that matters as well. And I'll bet you well, we're going to be look, it, finding out more about the lobbyists as well.
2: And and we need to draw the we need the chart, and all the arrows need to attach to all the characters. And now the Preet baraja is in here, the guy that Trump fired, and he was mad about being fired. And yet the DOJ just settled a money laundering tax fraud case, which apparently was $230 million in tax fraud for what could be considered a paltry $6 million. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there, there's more here we need to know. But just the fact that this woman spent four days at the plaza on our dime for $50,000 really irritates me. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, oh. that's quite a story. <laughs> well, I'm 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 you know I'm happy to bring it to you. But now before we, yeah. I get you out of here, I have to I have to bring it around to some good and and helpful stuff. Not that what we talked about isn't helpful to everybody to understand things, but what people don't know about our friend Dr. Wendy wendypatrickphd.com, Patrick uh, is that Wendy also writes regularly for Psychology Today and i found this because a lot of the people that listen to this audience to this show a lot of the audience they're single people and yeah. anytime you can see something that's good advice for single people your your new column titled the first conversation topic for a great the number one conversation topic for a great first date is <laughs> the woman
5: <laughs> it's all <laughs> of it. a first date and like this for your listeners this is based on research the and, and not just one study multiple studies that show that on a first date the most successful first dates both the man and the woman uh, and it was done on the heterosexual couples for the studies both of them agree that the most successful topic was her and uh not just not a bunch of Twenty questions at, at you know fired at her and she has to answer them. But her being able to talk about herself and the man joining the narrative and other sort of enhancing the experience. And the most interesting thing about this research, Mike, is you know there were lots of um, men in, the, in some of these studies that would interrupt. But it wasn't an interruption to be rude, it was an interruption to, to affirm, to validate, kind of like you, you'll be talking on the, on the radio and I'll say, yeah, I saw that too. It was those types of welcome interruptions that actually built rapport throughout these dates. But, yeah, many people were, um, it's almost counterintuitive. Some people were telling me that this would be consistently what the research says. So, you know, for the men out there listening, if you have a great first date with somebody you're interested in, make sure that at least that first date. Is all about her. Second such date, you can talk
2: about you. <laughs> such good advice, Dr. Wendy Patrick. It's on Psychology Today. I'll tweet out the link to it. This is why yes. Dr. Wendy is with us as, as <laughs> often as possible. I so appreciate you, Dr. Wendy. Oh, You're,
5: such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: We'll see you next week. And there Sounds she goes. Good. And here we go. <laughs> we'll be right back after a break. You're listening to Pure Opelka. With
0: Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Pure Pelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Pure Opelka. I have to say thank you to this audience. Uh, you guys have been terrific. I said earlier that I had a uh, little bit of a problem before the show when I was outside in the garden here in the, in the Arden, Delaware woods. Working on the garden, I was pulling up some, some nasty vines that had infiltrated the area around the hydrangeas and the rhododendrons. And I was like, no, no, you're not. And I'm pulling them up with all, all kinds of vigor and anger, trying to rid the garden of this beast, this viney beast. And I had gone out on a break and just started ripping them up. And one of my neighbors comes over after I've pulled a considerable amount of it out and goes, hey, uh, you know that's poison oak. No! But uh, many of you said, you know, get, get inside, use. And I had used the Dawn detergent because I thought, you know, cleans the oil off the ducks, And many of you had said, well, the poison oak is an oil that that'll get on your skin and your clothes and it'll make everything itch and the blistering and yada, yada, yada. But I had done the, the hot water and the, uh, and the, the Dawn detergent and I think I'm okay. Um, you know, we're about four hours into this now, about three and a half, four hours into it. And I'm clear. So I, th- I think I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm worried about any kind of uh, outbreak. I'm just saying. Coming up later on the show, just around the corner, uh, I want to talk about Al Gore because he's he's back. And he's got, he's got things to say. I also want to know, and I think I've got the answer because one of you sent it to me. I asked this over the weekend. Um, how does my tire know what, what the tire pressure is? I mean, if you think about a tire on a wheel on your car, you, somebody puts the tire onto the wheel and then you mount the wheel on the car and you, you bolt it down, you tighten down the, the nuts and it's there. So, how does it tell your car how much air is in it? They're not wired. Is there a little miniature Bluetooth connecting? My, I, I think I've got the answer. I'll, I'll share that with you as well. And then I've got some dumb stories. And there might be time for yet one more, one more great moment from a George Romero film. A couple of interesting things. And, yeah, of course I have thoughts on John McCain and, and this, this unfortunate... I mean, I hope he gets better. But it's unfortunate. Why did, why did this happen now? Is there something else? We need to look into it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Puro Pelka. Wow, I, I cannot believe how rapidly today is moving. Maybe, maybe it's just because I'm feeling better, and, and I know why I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better because I am still faithfully taking relief factor. It's the all-natural anti-inflammatory that, that's helped me and thousands of other people like me. I'm, I'm a guy who ran marathons and when you do that, you run a lot of training. You average eight to 10 miles a day when you're doing that. And that, that can beat up your knees. I'm not going to kid you a year ago, I'm sitting here talking to doctors saying, doc, um, how long am I going to be out if I get knee replacements? And guess what? I'm not thinking that right now. Uh, I started in early April. Eight days after I started taking relief factor, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then I I actually didn't need any pain medication. I was taking eight of those gel caps a day to try and deal with the pain in my knees and my hips and my lower back. No more. And it's because the inflammation has been reduced by the fish oil and the turmeric, the all natural ingredients in relief factor. Look, I, I've been going on about this. I waited, don't wait. Do what, do what I eventually did after Brad Staggs talked to me about it. Call Relief Factor at 800-500-83-84, 800-500-8384. If you want more information, talk to them, quiz them, or go to relieffactor.com. The three-week quick start pack is nineteen ninety five. I wish I had started in April of, of 2015. I wouldn't have wasted the time of those doctors. Uh, But uh, it worked for me, and hopefully it'll work for you, Relief Factor. Check it out. Now, um, somebody who did cause irritation that Relief Factor couldn't help is Al Gore. Well, he's making the rounds because, of course, of course he's got another movie coming out. Of course he wants to be in the middle of the climate discussion. And he, he will be. Trust me, though. Trust me, he will be there. So Al Gore showed up today on the Today Show. Al Gore showed up and uh, had a little interview with Willie Geist on the Today Show. One of the more interesting moments, if you can call it interesting, was uh, Al Gore on, um, on Hillary losing the election despite the fact that she won the popular vote. She unfortunately, for her and for Al, lost the Electoral College. Gee, I, I, wonder, I wonder who that sounds like. Who, who else could that have happened to?
6: I'm curious to know, Mr. Vice President, because you were one of only two living people on this planet who can appreciate what it's like to win the popular vote, to lose the presidential election. <laughs> yeah. Have you spoken to Secretary Clinton since the election commiserated at all about that? Yes, I have. She, I, I suspect she'll be fine. Um, but uh, our, our country, as I said earlier, is going to face some challenging months ahead.
2: Yes, if you guys w- would slow down the, the blocking of everything Donald Trump's trying to do, it wouldn't be quite as challenging. Wouldn't be quite quite as much of a a problem, but no, you're gonna keep doing that. Does anyone notice Al Gore's heads becoming more and more square I, I just i know it's a sidebar but but yeah the the former vice president was there like i said, pushing of course his initiatives for climate change and uh his his film, which ultimately will. Feather his nest so he can increase his carbon footprint, as he has been doing for the last several decades. And um, President Gore said something I actually had a little problem with.
6: ...in a century, and we still rely on carbon-based fuels for 80% of the world's energy. But the good news is solar electricity and wind electricity are, have come down so quickly in price. In many areas, it's now much cheaper than electricity from burning fossil fuels.
2: Hmm. Is it? Is it? And now he, he qualified it by saying in many areas. In many areas. Well, according to the people at Forbes dot com, this isn't a a wacko right wing conservative anti green website. This is Forbes, and they they talked with uh, Earl Ritchie, a lecturer at the Department of Construction Management at the University of Houston. He's an energy fellow, and in, in the story that's on Forbes, a very recent story on Forbes from. Oh, I don't know, just uh, a couple months ago. He's saying uh, there, there has been a rash of articles saying that wind and solar have reached what they call grid parity. In other words, the cost of generating electricity on, on the solar panels and the, the, wind, uh, the windmills that are set up is as cheap or cheaper than the electricity that you buy from uh, your power company and this idea is as rock solid as the idea based on, uh, on climate change based on the temperature information we get which we know is very inexact and has been uh, tweaked as they say this the, the costs the cost of grid parity or the when you when you say the cost of generating energy you have to define it there, there are things that the Forbes article calls the subsidized retail cost, which is the life cycle cost of the generation, including tax benefits and credits and subsidies, which there are liberal tax benefits and tax credits and subsidies given to the greenies. The unsubsidized cost needs to be uh, analyzed. The unsubsidized retail cost and the all-in wholesale cost. So based upon this, the study shows that, no, in fact, they, they haven't quite caught up. wind and solar are still more expensive than fossil fuels. So Al Gore, uh, you, sir, are fake news on that one, and we have to, we have to drop that on you. This is Forbes showing the evidence. Now that they also asked Willie Geis also asked the uh, former vice president, about Donald Trump. And I thought he had an interesting take on this.
6: Our country's going through a a challenging time, for sure. We've never had a president who's uh, deliberately made decisions, the effect of which is to tear down America's uh, standing in the world, starting with his withdrawal from the Paris Agreement, the climate.
2: Wait, 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 wait. We've never had a president who did what, Mr. Gore?
6: Made decisions, the effect of which is to tear down America's uh, standing in the world. Start.
2: Wait, so <sighs> the guy who drew the red line in the sand and then did nothing, that didn't do anything to our standing. The guy who okayed the continued growth in the... Korean North Korean nuclear program that that guy didn't do anything to tear down our standing the guy who gave the Iranians The deal so they could get back in the nuclear business and gave them all that cash so they could get back to funding terrorism That didn't hurt our standing in the world. So and and let's go back to your your president. Mr. Clinton So nothing he did which he had to do intentionally, I'm just saying, intern, uh, nothing he did intentionally tore down America's standing in the, wo- in the world. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Former Vice President. But you're just, you're just wrong on this one. You're way out of line on this one. It's not right, and it's not okay. You're going to hear more on Al Gore, but you're also going to hear more from the people who are behind the movie called Climate Hustle. I don't know if you've seen the video from the folks who who made the movie Climate Hustle. Of course, they're showing that Al Gore's whole scheme about climate change is nothing more than a redistribution of wealth. Yes, we should be good stewards of the planet. Yes, we should try and develop clean energy as fast and as as cheaply as possible. But not at at the point of taking over the entire economy. The Climate Hustle video, folks, were waiting for Al Gore when he was coming out of a studio. It might be kind of hard to hear, but they listen to this. It's only 20 seconds. They try and give the former vice president a copy of the DVD. And he just kind of keeps walking. I'm just going to keep walking out the door and keep going out to my car. And then one of the security people turns on the couple, they are in business suits, and wants to know who let them in. Sure. Who's approaching? Oh, Mark hey. Brando, he's approaching. Hey, Mark Moran. I used to for Senator James Inhofe. This oh, nice right. to see you. you yeah, you. thank you. you. Film, climate, hustle. Would you take a, take a copy of it, please? Huh?
3: <laughs> thank you.
4: Shoot. All right. Shoot. Can I just wanted to take our film. Can I ask how you got access here?
2: Can I ask how you got access here? Because there's going to be a price to pay for that. We'll see if we can get the guy on behind us. He he said he uh, worked for Jim Inhofe. And that's going to be interesting to see if somebody can get a copy of Climate Hustle. Now, you know, if Al Gore shows up and signs a book somewhere, there are going to be people in line with, <laughs> with copies of Climate Hustle trying to get him to sign it. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on this. Stepping aside for a break. When we get back, we'll wrap up today. Is there time for one more bit of wisdom from George Romero from Dawn of the Dead? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see next on Pure Opelka.
5: You're listening to Pure
0: Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to Hero Health. I guess I'm back. Are we back? Okay, good. I was getting nervous. I was looking at some of the weird stories that were popping up today, and uh, we're, we're basically running out of time before the Liberty Loving Latino gets in here, Chris Salcedo. Um, I don't have a drone. And I don't want a drone because I know I would get in trouble if I had a drone. Pretty much I can predict that if I had a drone, I, I would be in trouble. I know I'd be in trouble. But in Alaska, it, it's a problem, especially the people that have drones, the really expensive drones like those $6,000 drones that you can control from your phone using waypoints, and you can land them and take pictures and all that stuff. Um, in Alaska, apparently eagles are threatened by the drones and have been swooping in on them and knocking them down. So uh, I'm guessing Amazon, which is looking at having a fleet of drones handling delivery all over the place. Uh, I'm guessing they're going to have to get a some sort of anti-eagle program to work in, but... Uh, Very common, apparently, up there in in Alaska. And now, let's think of Alaska, too. It's not exactly easy to get stuff delivered to you in Alaska. There's something like 600 different municipalities that are not even reachable by car. So very interesting. A little keep an eye on that. Also, uh, I haven't picked on California today, have I? I bet you California's going to feel unloved. Well, I'm not going to pick on them again, but I do think this is fascinating. A woman in Sherman Oaks, California, if you know Los Angeles, you know Sherman Oaks, a nice neighborhood, went into labor and uh, wasn't able to drive herself to the hospital. So what did she do? Hello, 2017. She tapped the Uber app on her phone and she got an Uber driver to show up as she was going through labor however the baby couldn't wait so as far as we know this is the first uber delivery i i don't maybe maybe it's not we'll keep an eye on that uh and for those i got an email from some folks who didn't believe what i said saturday about uh the um the new york city councilman who said it's it's harder to be rich than it is to be poor If you missed his brilliant clip and his logic or lack thereof, I wanted to share it with you.
3: Do you know it's harder being rich than being poor? I know you don't
1: believe what I just said. I don't. But being rich, you got more responsibility. You have more things. When you work nine to five and you're just maintaining, okay, I got my thing. Well, you are
2: rich. You have more things to work, millionaire people. they have a lot of stuff to worry about, more stuff to manage, more stuff. It, it, it's really they got there because of their ability to handle more pressure. Yeah, every it, CEO, every president, they got in there and stayed there's because of their ability to handle pressure. They had increased their capacity. You know why your boss pays you what, what he pays you? because of your capacity that's right and if you could do more you'd make more that's kind of the whole capitalist system here I can't believe the dummies New York City has elected if you missed it I'll retweet a link to it that's Democratic New York City Councilman Cabrera it's harder to be rich than to be poor yeah it's called work oh Help me, people. Chris Salcedo's waiting in the wings. The liberty-loving Latino will be here tomorrow. Testudo, my friends. Testudo.
0: Pure Opelka
1: with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.